So, with all of the new mechanics that have come out recently, we finally have a little bit of a break. You know what that means? It's time to go back to basics. We're going to be going back and revisiting some of the evergreen mechanics. And this episode, it's all about turning your creature sideways and doing damage with Trample. Welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And with Magic the Gathering Under the Hood, we'd like to take a deeper look at, uh, at the mechanics and abilities of Magic the Gathering for all players, possibly sh shed some light on some things that uh, you don't know, and it's always good to have a refresher. At the top of the episode, I always like to do this. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... You can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the handle mtgunderthehood. All right, Joe, what have you been working on? Well, Commander Legends 2 just released, and we're going to talk more in depth about that later on in the episode. But when it comes to new ideas and new decks, that's really where my mind is right now. Where There were, I want to say, upwards of over 80 new commanders available. For people to use and immediately I'm starting to think about some of the brewing ideas that I can use with them so I don't have anything really set in stone uh, I have talked about the Miram the uh, dragon doubling commander before so we're still working on that trying to get all the dragons assembled but there is also Raphael which is a tiefling commander that gives demons devils imps and tieflings plus one plus one and lifelink and, and when and when something dies, it get uh, you get to create a one one devil that uh, has whenever this creature dies deals one damage to your opponent. Right, and, and I think it's an end of turn trigger. Yeah. But regardless, yeah. So we're excited about that. I'm going to try to give that an idea. I I've been trying to brew a, like a Rakdos, and by that I don't mean the color combination. I mean actual one of the Rakdos cards, uh, where you flip a coin. For each demon or each non-demon devil imp creature on the battlefield, and destroy each one that comes up heads. So it would be basically a board wipe idea, chaos board wipe. But all my creatures would be safe; it'd be one-sided. So I think I'm just going to make Raphael the commander of that instead, and then just put Rakdos in there. Board wipe opportunity. It'll be fun. Uh, Miracle is another one that is the Abzan commander that takes non-creature tokens or non-token creatures that die and brings them back as enchantments. That'll be fun. Uh, Mazzy is a... It's a Naya aura commander, where if if the aura would go to the graveyard, you have until the end of your next turn to play it from exile instead. So I'm thinking... Because that's one of the things, and a lot of, a lot of uh, content creators have brought this up. One of the bad part about aura-based decks is that once the creature it's attached to dies, it's hard to get that aura back out of the graveyard in an efficient way. Or you, know, you have to basically spend a big spell to get those all back, and then you need to have something to attach it to. I think with Mazzy, that might be the way to go. You can have an opportunity to get those back little by little instead of uh, having to do one big massive spell. So we're looking at some of those. Those are some of the interesting ideas that I have. And of course, we're continuing to play test and tweak that Orzov prison deck for the Pioneer RCQ whenever we happen to find one. Chris, what are your ideas for new decks? So uh, I pulled one of them, can't remember the name, but it's the, uh, 
the Bant Commander that uh, is Lucky Clover on a body. So whenever you cast a uh, adventure, you get to copy it. Um, so I've been kind of brewing that idea. I went through all of my cards and found all of them. Uh, yeah, uh, Gorian Wise Mentor. Uh, oh, he also has Vigilance. Huh, didn't notice that. Yeah, and just, you know, one extra little thing on top of it. Um, and <laughs> but so, he's a solid commander. I think there's going to be a lot of fun stuff that goes along. And so I was, so I went through all of my cards and found all of my adventure ones mm-hmm. and those colors. So I kind of threw them all together. Of course, I dug through all of my cards to find my copy of, a copy of uh, Lucky Clover. Put that yeah. in there. <laughs> um, I also found my Primal Amulet. Good. Which reduces uh, instants and sorceries by one. Yep. And if I have so many instants or sorceries in my graveyard, I believe, I get to flip it into a land. Oh, yes. Yeah. And whenever I tap that and use that mana mm-hmm. to cast an instant or sorcery, I get to copy it. So the idea is to have have Gorion, Lucky Clover, and... Um, the legendary land out. Mm-hmm. Use that to cast one of my uh, one of my adventures, and I get three copies of it. That would be awesome. And then, of course, I have some. Try to find some way. I'm probably going to put some magecraft stuff in there. Of course, yeah. Um, get some extra doubles. Now, I guess my my question, and this is something that our listeners should always take into account when deck building, especially in the commander format, is there enough green, white, blue adventure support to actually make the spells worth it? Um, so I'm actually leaning more towards, uh, whenever I actually encountered this problem while brewing. Yeah. And, uh, I focused more on, I went more along the lines of white-blue spells. Mm-hmm. And then did use green for some creatures and ramp. Right. So I kind of, so... So your adventure spells for Gorian, which is, the, that, that's the point of the commander, is mm-hmm. to double your adventure spells. There's enough support in that in blue and white that you think you can make a deck out of it that works. I'm sure going to try. That's all you need. Fantastic. And and I've also looked at possibly trying to make him into a tiny leader. Oh, that's true, because he is only... Th- Actually, a tiny leader might be even more advantageous, because then you'll definitely have the support for it. Yeah, but there's not a lot of... Because with... Oh, everything has to cost three or less. Oh, yeah, that bo- is the hard part. Both both parts of that spell has have to be... Three or less. Three or less. Ooh, that is going to be tough. But there isn't the new uh, white... One of the new white adventures, which mm-hmm. is the uh, sorcery as the adventure and the artifact. Yeah. Um, I think it's Horn of Valhalla or something like that. Yes, Horn of Valhalla. Um, the sorcery is... Uh, I think it's XX... Or sorry, it's X white white. Mm-hmm. Create X uh, um, uh, one one creature tokens. So that could be in the tiny leader one. And then if I have all of that wonderful doubling stuff, yeah, um, it also has that. Um, I also had an idea of doing a Selesnia enchantment deck, but loading up hmm. a, a bunch of backgrounds into it. Oh, okay. Um, that would be different because I even. Because I pulled the one that was uh, raised by giants, so my commander would have base oh, power. Oh, that's 10-10. awesome! So I was I like, wanted that one. That's a good one. So I'm looking at all these ones, and I'm kind of like brewing ideas and everything. And then, of course, with all of these wonderful new cards, all of my established decks have been getting upgrades. Uh, my yeah. Sir Conrad one got a couple new ones just because they synergized with him very well. Um, one of them went into my Dargo Tevit Zot deck because yep. it's whenever something dies, I get to create a treasure token. Yeah. Um, and then I also found, 
I finally broke down and put in my Aetherflux Reservoir into that because I can cast... If I can get the loop going, I can cast Drago. Yeah. That way it's just another win con and I can go, alright, I'm going to loop this, I'm going to gain like a million life, and then everyone's dead. Yeah. So... I've been having fun with all of these brewing ideas. I still haven't pulled the one card that I was lo- that I've been looking for the the Marty one with yeah. the creature token. Jan Jansen, I'm of it. That sounds about right because yeah. you know I break it with reconnaissance. Yeah. I I mean so I've been having a lot of fun and everything, and then um, I'm still trying to find time to uh, get together and play uh, play test my red deck because I really want to play it against your prison deck. We'll, we'll make time. Don't worry. We will figure out time for that. All right, so with all the decks out of the way, our words to live by. Uh, Joe, you can take the first one. I'll take the second one. All right, so these are, again, terms that come from the comprehensive rules, and they're they're terms that I think especially new players really need to know these and understand them, especially our second word, because I didn't. we didn't have that when I originally played, and when I came back, I kept trying to figure out, what's that little dot on some of these cards? So, let's talk about this. The first word is characteristic defining ability. This is a, stat- a kind of static ability that conveys information about an object's characteristics that would normally be found elsewhere on that object. Some examples include its mana cost, its type line, or its power and toughness box. Now, one of the best examples of this is Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf is a classic idea, idea of a characteristic definability. It says its power is equal to the number of card types in graveyards, in all graveyards, and its toughness is equal to that many card types plus one. And I'm paraphrasing here, that is not the exact oracle text. But you can see when you look at the card on Tarmogoyf that it has star slash star plus one in the power and toughness. All right. So this, a, a characteristic defining ability is so important for us to understand. Some other examples include Devoid. Devoid gets rid of a card's color. So even, even though there's color in its casting cost. Even if there's color in the casting cost, exactly. When it has Devoid, this card has no color. Another great example is Changeling. Changeling, this card is every creature type. All right, so even though it has the creature type Shapeshifter, Changeling is a characteristic defining ability that overwrites what is the type line that's actually on the card. The important part about characteristic defining abilities also means that they function anywhere. That means on the stack, that means in your graveyard, that means in your deck, that means in your sideboard, that means in your binder that is in your house when you're at your LGS playing a game Tarmogoyf's power and toughness in your binder is equal to the number of card types in graveyards in that game, and its toughness is equal to that many card types plus one. All right, so characteristic defining abilities matter, and there's something that you really need to pay attention to because it can really alter the way the game goes if you're looking for that kind of information. If you'd like more information on characteristic defining abilities, you can see rule 604.3 of the comprehensive rules. There are also a couple videos on YouTube I'm sure you could find where judges talk about characteristic defining abilities. Right. Nighthawk Scavenger is another one. Yes, because it sets its power and toughness because based it's off star of the slash yeah. star plus one. Now let's talk about a real quick one that is not a characteristic defining ability, just to give you some other examples. All right, the devotion clause on gods. 
That is not a characteristic defining ability. And a lot of people think it is, including me, for the longest time, thought it was a characteristic defining ability, before I even knew what they were. Because the, the devotion clause says that this card or the, the, this card is not a creature unless it has... Your devotion is equal to a certain amount of each right, color. Right, of, of a certain color or a combination of colors. And again, we're paraphrasing here. We're not giving you the exact wording on the card. All right? But that is not a characteristic defining ability. It doesn't meet the criteria because it is it, that ability only functions on the battlefield. Right? Uh, and again, if you go to 604.3, it'll explain that in more detail, why it doesn't meet that criteria. You can see that, and basically that will mean that the gods are legendary creature enchantments uh, with the subtype god. And we're talking about the Theros gods here, mm -hmm. in that case. All right. So, let's move on to our next one, which is color indicator. Chris, talk to us about color indicators. What are they? All right, so the color indicator is printed on the left of the type line directly below the illustration. It consists of a circular symbol filled with one or more colors. A color indicator is usually found on non-land cards without mana costs or on the back face of transforming double face cards. Um, these are to show the color identity yeah. uh, of that card. Uh, some notable examples are the things like uh, um, Rogue Rex on a Rogue Roth. Right. It, uh, has a, it has a mana cost of zero, and so because it has no colored pip in its mana cost, it needs a color indicator down by its, its type line to tell us what color that card actually is when that becomes important. Uh, another one that I can think of right off the top of my head is Profane Tutor or Inevitable Betrayal. Exactly. Uh, blue, black, Suspend respectively. Cards. Suspend cards, you will see those. Uh, if there is no... If there's no mana cost on the suspend card, you will find um, the mana, the color indicator on um, on those ones. Uh, for the transforming uh, double face cards, uh, for example, we have uh, Huntmaster of the Fells, which transforms into Ravenger of the Fells, and next to the creature type uh, on the type line. There's a circle that is half red, half green, because it is a red-green creature. Um, so this is just a visual, um, uh, a visual indicator of the colors of that card. Well, and for a while, uh, before the rules were changed regarding especially transforming double-faced cards, when you transformed it into the werewolf-only side... And we're, getting, we're just going to use the werewolves because those were the ones that did a lot of the transforming originally. When you transformed it, it lost the mana cost and the characteristics of the front face because the back face was up. That caused a lot of problems with Ratchet Mom and everything being a zero mana cost, essentially, or a null mana cost up at the top. So anything with CMC zero or less. Mana easily, value. Mana value, yes. <laughs> you could easily get rid of with Ratchet Bomb, so they changed that policy, which you know gave it those colors. But still, that has stuck around to today, where they continue to put that color indicator there to make sure you remember, hey, by the way, this is, say, with Huntmaster, or Tovalar, in this case, would be a, a great example of a modern-day one, uh, or a more recent card, where you do have that color indicator. And again, I, I, I just, again you want to point this out to newer players. When I came back after my break, there... Color indicators didn't exist when I first played. And so when I came back, 
it was completely mind-boggling me. I saw Pact of Negation, and I'm like, what is that blue dot on the... What does that have to do with anything? You know? <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I was in the same boat. Yeah, I, just, I didn't understand for the longest time, and then it finally started to click. Oh, yeah, hey, those don't have a mana cost, which means they don't have a color, so you need to put something that indicates the color. So you won't, you'll only see them on certain cards, but they do matter. I guess with that, Chris... Let's start talking about uh, and dive into one of the, probably one of the most rules detailed of the evergreen mechanics. All right. So as I said in the intro or teaser or whatever, uh, this show focus is on trample. Uh, trample is one of the original keyword abilities to appear in alpha. So back in 1993. Yep. Um, and it appeared on... Four cards and one instant. So the instant. Well, four creatures. Sorry, yeah. four creatures and one instant. The uh, the instant gave your cre uh, gave creatures uh, trample. So mm -hmm. it gave it the trample, um, and has been present in every set since uh, every set to date on now, at least a few creatures. I, I do want to put out a, a small disclaimer there. I did a lot of work on this one for the show notes to figure out the history. To the best of my understanding, it's on in every set. If someone finds a a set where Trample did not exist, you are welcome to let us know. Thank you. I appreciate you doing the work, but I couldn't find one. And Trample has just been around for so, so long. So you uh, know, it, it, there uh, might be a set or two. Well, according to Scryfall, doing a cursory <laughs> search, yeah. uh, I think it came up with 890-something hits. Yes. Um, so There are actually 1,042 cards, including the unsets, that reference Trample, either having it innately printed on the card or giving Trample to another creature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say that yeah. it's been at least... So, uh, Probably every set. <laughs> all right, all right, hold on. I'm running through every single set that I can remember, and I'm like, yep, that one has trampled, that one has trampled, that one has trampled, that one has trampled. Um, to my knowledge, every set that I've played yeah. with, there's been something with trample in it or something to give something trampled. Yeah. All right, Joe, you said that this one was going to be, that this one was kind of in-depth with, uh, like, mm -hmm. a lot of rules going with it. And uh, if you could... Listeners, if you could see what I am looking at, it is a page <laughs> and a half, a page and a half <laughs> of rules. Now, we are going to be nice and we are going to give the highlights and we are going to simplify it. Yeah. Um, I will let Joe do his feel and then I will uh, shorten it up to about 10 words. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. All right. We're looking at 702.19 for trample. 702.19a, Trample is a static ability that modifies the rules for assigning and attacking creature's combat damage. The ability has no effect when a creature with Trample is blocking or is dealing non-combat damage. So keep that in mind. You have a creature with Trample, you have it deal damage through a fight ability, some kind of fight card, the, the Trample isn't going to matter. All right? The two creatures are going to deal damage to each other, that's it. It doesn't matter. 702.19b, the controller of an attacking creature with trample first assigns damage to the creatures blocking it. Once all those creatures, once all those blocking creatures are assigned lethal damage, any excess damage is assigned as its controller chooses among those blocking creatures and the player or planeswalker the creature is attacking. 
When checking for assigned lethal damage, take into account damage already marked on the creature and damage from other creatures that's being assigned during the same combat damage step, but not any abilities or effects that might change the amount of damage that's actually dealt. The attacking creature's controller need not assign lethal damage to all those blocking creatures, but in that case can't assign any, any damage to the player or planeswalker it's attacking. So let's break that down real quick into sentences, all right? You first assign damage to the creatures blocking it. You have to do that first. It's one of the important parts of trample. Once the blocking creature assigned lethal damage, and that's the important part, lethal damage. So whatever the toughness is that's printed on the defending card, once that number has been hit, then you can start having all the extra damage go at the player. Uh, you do not need to actually assign any extra damage, any of the, uh, the, the trample damage to the player. You can assign all the damage from the trample creature to the blocking creature. You don't have to assign any to the player if you don't want to. You do need to make sure you take into account any damage already marked on the creature. So for example, if you shock the creature first ahead of time, or let's say you deal damage to it because you, that card only lets you deal damage to a creature. All right. That would probably be the more accurate idea. If you've dealt three damage to the creature already and it only has four toughness, you only need to assign one point of lethal damage from your attacking creature. The rest of that damage can trample over. All right. But not any effects or abilities that might change amount of damage it's actually dealt. Torbrin is a great example of this. All right. The two extra damage that is assigned by from Torbrin's ability to red creatures dealing damage, you can't put that into account when you're looking at trample. It's going to deal two extra damage over the lethal damage to the blocking creature. That's just the way it's got to work. Uh, 702.19c. Trample over planeswalkers is a variant of trample that modifies the rules for assigning combat damage to planeswalkers. Basically, it works the same way with one exception. Once you have assigned all lethal damage to the blocking creatures, and dealt enough damage to reduce the loyalty of the planeswalker to zero. Any extra damage that is still able to be dealt can be dealt to the defending player. All right. Uh, and of course, you have to take into account everything that came from 702.19b, but that's really the only difference. If an attacking creature with trample or trample over planeswalkers is blocked, but there are no creatures blocking it when damage is assigned, its damage is assigned to the defending player and or planeswalker as though all blocking creatures have been assigned lethal damage. This actually came up in a game I was playing at the new Capenna pre-release. A guy attacked with a creature with trample. I blocked it. It was enough that he wasn't going to be able to deal any damage to me, and I was going to uh, just kill his creature in combat damage. So... After blockers had been assigned, when he got priority, he killed my creature. Not only did he get rid of my creature, but his trampling creature still dealt full damage to me. So he basically two for one me and didn't lose any damage. Or okay, did, didn't that, lose his creature. All right, that's something new for me to learn. Yeah. If a creature with trample over planeswalkers is attacking a planeswalker and that planeswalker is removed from combat... The creature's damage may be assigned to the defending player once all blocking creatures have been dealt lethal damage. Basically, it's the same idea um, as if you remove a blocking creature from combat. It, it's assumed that no, that all the dam, that the the damage assigned to the blocking creature is zero. The damage assigned to the blocking or to the planeswalker you're attacking is zero. But remember, you have to have trample over planeswalkers for that, and there are only a few cards out there that have trample over planeswalkers. It's not a very common trait. 
If a creature without trample over planeswalkers is attacking a planeswalker, none of its combat damage can be assigned to the defending player, even if that planeswalker has been removed from combat or the damage the attacking creature could assign is greater than the planeswalker's loyalty. So again, keep that in mind. If it has, if it does not have trample over planeswalkers, it just has regular trample. You can only trample over the creatures and then any excess damage will be dealt to the planeswalker. And finally, 702.19G, multiple instances of trample on the same creature are redundant. Same thing goes for trample over buckers. So again, trample becomes rather, rather complex when you really start to get into combat and you start to interact a lot. But for the most part, it's really a rather simple ability. Just make sure you're taking into account dealing lethal damage to the blocking creatures first. Now, Chris, you said you were going to sum it up. Can you do it in about 10 words or less? Hold on. I got it in eight. All right. Unstopped damage after blockers hits the defending player. That is a, a nice way to really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So if the attacking number, so if the power number is bigger than the combined uh, toughness power, all of that remainder goes to the defending player. And we'll talk more about that when we get into Death Touch later on down the episode. <laughs> but yes, that is essentially the idea. Let's move on to some featured cards. Chris, talk to us about our first one, one of the very first cards to feature Trample. All right, so one of the very first cards to feature Trample is Force of Nature. It is a creature elemental. It's an 8-8, and it costs two generic green, 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 green. It has Trample, of course. And it also has, at the beginning of your upkeep, Force of Nature deals 8 damage to you unless you pay green, 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 green. Um, now, of course, this is the Oracle text because the right. original printing of it is a little different, but it still means the different same thing. Different syntax, but the same same outcome. So for 6 mana, you are getting a 8-8 eight, eight with Trample. Uh, the only downside is, is every upkeep you have to pay 4, you have to pay green, 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 green. Um, it, or it will deal eight damage to you. Um, honestly, if you have this on the field, you can kind of get a, if you have enough life. Mm -hmm. If you have enough life, um, you can afford not to pay that. Right. Pay that right, tax right, a couple yeah. of times because obviously you are swinging in for a lot of damage. Yeah. Every turn. But this gives a great idea of where trample started. And oh it yeah. Was, it was meant big to be creatures. Big creatures. That's the whole point of things. Have changed since then. But that's where I got started. Our next example of a card is actually an enchantment that grants trample. It's Ferocity of the Wild. It's an enchantment. Costs two generic and a red. Attacking non-human creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and have trample. This one creates a static ability that applies to any attacking non-human creature. Ferocity of the Wild. Nice card. A lot of fun to use. Saw some play when Throne of Eldraine, where it was originally printed, was in standard with some of the aggressive decks. Doesn't see too much play anymore. But I still like to use But outside of that, it's uh, after the after the show. I'm gonna have to ask you a question about that. Unless you want to, unless you want to answer it right now. Eh, we'll talk about it later. Alrighty. Let's talk next about one of the classic win conditions for many green decks. All right, and this one is Overrun. It is a sorcery that costs two generic, green, 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 and it says creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and gain trample until end of turn. So this is for, uh, primarily you'll see this in, like, token decks. Yep. Especially whenever you have a lot of them out, because then all, all of that, 
all of those creatures now get plus three, plus three, and have trample, and so you can easily go over go over it. Yeah. Um, another uh, good iteration of the same effect of Overrun is on Azuri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Azuri's predation? No. No, uh, just Azuri in general. Azuri, Renegade Leader. Oh, right. Um, right. Because he has the ability for two green, green, green. Yeah. Creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and trample until end of turn. Yep. So he has Overrun on him. And the nice thing about Azuri is you can pay it multiple times. Oh, right. And you can get multiple instances of Overrun onto your creatures. Yeah. Now, the trample, like we said in the rules, is redundant. Uh, the it, plus three, plus three is not. <laughs> no, it isn't. Especially if you're playing an elf ball deck and you, yeah. you get a lot of mana. Oh yeah, no, Overrun that, yeah. is just a beautiful card. Especially, if, if, yeah, it, it's a fantastic and it's a classic card. It's been around since Tempest, and so again, it's showing you that, that this ability, this mechanic, has just been such a staple of green cards for th- through the life of Magic. It's been around since you know since the very beginning. But you don't only see it on green cards, and yeah, we've green or red cards or anything like that. We have an, an artifact as our next example. This is Heartwood Shard. It is an artifact. It costs three generic to put into play. It costs three generic and tap, or one green and tap. Target creature gains trample until end of turn. So again, a great little example. This one was originally printed in Mirrodin. And it was one of those nice little abilities that you could add it to a creature real quick. You could add it to the creature at instant speed. And so maybe you wouldn't, if you didn't need to give the creature trample, you wouldn't have to. If they threw a big enough blocker in front of it, no big deal. Or if they didn't block, no big deal. You don't need to waste your mana. But if they put a smaller creature in front of it and your creature doesn't have trample, boom, give it trample for one turn, you're good to go, and you can deal some extra damage. Chris, what's our last card? So the our last featured card is actually one that I just thought of, and I pulled it up because Joe said that it's not only in uh, on creatures yep. or enchantments. It is Not only is it on artifacts, but it is also on lands. Yes. Uh, particularly Kessig Wolf Run. It is a land that taps for a colorless, or you can pay X, red, green, tap it, and target creature gets plus X, plus O, and gains trample until end of turn. The nice thing is, is that X can be equal to zero. Right. And so you would, you just have to pay red and green, tap it, and it will get plus zero, plus zero, and trample. So for two mana, you can give something trample. Yeah. And I know that... Uh, Kessig Wolf Run is, I believe it's in your Tovalar deck. Well, the Kessig Wolf Run isn't, but the backside of Tovalar is Kessig Wolf has Run. the Kessig Wolf Run ability attached to Tovalar without the tap mm-hmm. requirement. So you can you can give you can use the Kessig Wolf Run ability from Tovalar, and I've done that many many times. Oh yeah, just red green boom creature has trample, and it enables me to just mostly I don't even use it necessarily for the damage. I use it so I can draw a card, but another ability of Tovalar but yeah solid solid and again it's that same idea where trample is not just a static ability it's not something that's granted to creatures through an enchantment or given to creatures uh, as part of a win condition it is simply need a little extra damage to go through or you have a little bit of extra damage that could go through you got an untapped land and something and a, a couple that you can go ahead and just use and spend Give it trample, deal a couple points of damage to the uh, the defending player. When we start looking at all the dominant colors, <laughs> I'm not going to get into this in detail, what I found, but I can tell you this. Without a doubt, trample is a green mechanic. 
that it is dominantly found on green cards. Red would be the second most popular color. There are a number of multicolored cards and a number of artifacts as well. White has a little bit of trample. At 22. Black has a little bit of trample as well. At 47. And again, those are creature. Those are cards that either... Well, those are specifically creatures. This is what I was looking at, specifically creatures that intrinsically had trample. All right. Or were able to give trample to something else. Because again, trying to work with Scryfall and get that detailed, I'm not that proficient with it. But again... Mostly a green mechanic, some red. Most of the black cards are demons that you see, so they have flying and trample, all right? Colloquially known as flample. <laughs> uh, a lot of your white cards with trample are angels, and I couldn't find a rhyme or reason on the blue cards with trample. They just exist. But regardless, <laughs> maybe Leviathan's like big sea monster kind of an idea. Yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going through and like, of some of the blue cards that have trample in. Yeah. I think a lot of them are, like, Leviathans. Because one of them is, uh, um, 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 Inkwell. Uh, Inkwell Leviathan. Oh, yeah. The 8-8 with flying trial trample. Yes, 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 yes. Um. So, but again, yeah, you, if you're looking for trample, odds are you're playing green with another color. Which leads us into the featured decks that you see using trample. All right, so there are some mono-green stompy decks, um... These are pretty much self-explanatory. They are mono green and they go big and uh, they hit hard. They yep. like to stomp on things. Um, few decks, uh, few decks make trample the overarching focus of the deck. It's more of a support or kind of a win condition type deal right. thing. Like there isn't a dedicated featured deck. Like mono green stompy is really the only one that I can think of or, or that you see on a regular basis that definitely has trample or can have trample as a main part of their mechanic. Mm -hmm. um, another yeah. another one that I just thought of is uh, um, Gruul. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's red-green, and it, uh, um, from back in Shards of Alara, mm -hmm. um, sorry, in Alara Reborn, uh, there's uh, Colossal Might. It gets uh, four yeah. red and green. It's an instant. And a target creature gets plus four, plus two, and trample. Yeah. Um, so... Red, red and green, because that's those are its dominant colors, red, green, aggro, stompy decks, yeah. that's where it really shines. But because it's available in all colors, yeah. um, it can find a home almost anywhere. Many decks make it their win condition. We mm -hmm. already talked about Overrun, Primeval Titan, uh, the Amulet Titan deck that is such a staple of modern. Yes, I know, Chris, you're not happy with it. It's, it's yeah. It's a very much just, it, it's one of the big meta decks, but Primeval Titan, one of the win conditions in there, has Trample. You know, and so it, while it's not a huge focus of the deck and it's not the main point of the deck, the fact that Primeval Titan has Trample and can just overrun helps to just add that win condition to the deck if that's what you It's time to talk about some strategy with this, this particular uh, this mechanic. Chris, you want to talk about playing with Trample or playing against Trample? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with playing against. Okay, then I'll talk about if you're going to use Trample. One of the most important concepts to remember is you have to pay attention to the creatures you choose with Trample. Originally, originally, creatures with Trample were the big creatures, all right? They typically had a high mana cost, or in the example of Primeval Titan, you were getting an 8-8 for 6, but you had to pay 4 green or take damage. 
I said primeval titan. Yeah, yeah. you mean force, force of, of nature. nature. Yes. <laughs> you were looking at me all weird. I was like, I must have said something that was incorrect, blatantly incorrect. So, but nowadays we have many different creatures that end up with trample in one way or another. Rograk is another great example. Rograk is the uh, the the red card from uh, Commander Legends one. It has first strike, menace, and trample, but it's a zero one. Now again, it has those abilities printed on the card, but you have to find a way to make the trample worth it. Or maybe you don't care about the trample, but again, there are a lot of different opportunities now with trample and how that works. The Almighty Brush Brush Brushwag. Um, I want to. I want. Yeah, Almighty Brushwag. It has it has trample. It's a 1-1 one, one for one green, <laughs> but you can pay four to give it plus three, plus three until end of turn. You know, so again, that one came from Ikoria. There are other things you're supposed to do with it, with the fact that it has trample. It's more of a base creature for you to mutate other creatures onto it. But still, that gets you have to work with that idea. So what you have to look at is do you want to have large creatures where you're going to have to pay a lot more mana? Typically, not always, but typically. And maybe even not more than their power and toughness, but we're talking like having to pay five, six, seven, eight mana. Or do you want to look at smaller creatures, which, for example, the Almighty Brushwag, you can get it out on turn one. Literally on turn one, you can get it out. But you have to do something to make it strong enough so that trample actually matters. So keep in mind the creatures that you're choosing. You need to calculate your trample damage carefully. And this is really where Trample confuses so many people and why it takes, what, why it can be one of the most difficult mechanics to work with. Evergreen, that is. You, you gotta remember, how much damage do you actually need to deal to the creature? Was any other damage dealt to it prior to combat? All right. How much damage are you actually assigning to the creature? How much are you trampling over to the next creature or trampling over onto your opponent? Hey, don't forget that mechan or that rule that says if the blocking creature goes away, if it gets sacrificed or you destroy it for some reason, it's you you basically you sign you assign combat damage as if its toughness were essentially zero then. So everything tramples over. There's just so much to calculate and so many rules to remember regarding trample. If you keep them all in your head, they're not too bad, but they can be kind of difficult to just work around. So make sure you just calculate your trample damage carefully. On a much more practical idea, plan for multiple blockers. If, you're, if your opponent has multiple creatures in play, odds are they will put multiple blockers in front of you to try to soak up all of that trample damage. And especially if they have enough in the enough power from the blocking creatures to kill your trampling creature. And finally, Death Touch is your friend. This is why the clause in the rules about dealing lethal damage is so important. So let's talk a little bit of history. For the longest time, a creature with Death Touch still had to deal, a creature with Death Touch and Trample still had to deal the full amount of lethal damage, meaning the total toughness of the defending, the blocking creature, before they could trample over anything. This is no longer the case. And again, this was one of those things where when I originally played, Death Touch and Trample worked together, but didn't work together all that well. All right. When I came back, the rules had changed. Now, Death Touch and Trample work together oh so very well. 
with Death Touch. And we will go over this when we actually do our Death Touch episode, whenever that happens to be, but it's important to talk about now. One point of damage is lethal damage. So, if you have, let's take that Force of Nature again. It's an 8-8. Let's say you give it Death Touch in some way. It doesn't matter how, just you give it Death Touch, all right? It's blocking, let's say, I don't know, a simple, let's, let's say it's blocking another force of nature, just for sake of argument, all right? So we have our force of nature, an 8-8 with Tramp 1 Death Touch being blocked by another force of nature, an 8-8 with Trample. Our force of nature will actually trample over, or has the potential to trample over, 7 damage. That one point of death touch is enough. That's all you need to assign to the defending uh, force of nature so that our force of nature, the attacking one with death touch, can still trample over seven damage to subsequent blocking creatures or over to the opponent. Chris, did I miss anything? No, I think that's about, that's about it. All right. Chris, if you're playing against trample, what are some things you need to keep in mind? Well... Because Trample is on creatures, uh, creatures die to removal. So removal is your friend. Um, and as we just alluded to, <clears throat> you want to beware of Death Touch and Trample together. Because I concur with Joe say, with the fact that whenever I started playing, it was Trample and Death Touch meant that it wouldn't really... You, would, you right. wouldn't it get was, as much payoff. It was nice, but it wasn't something that was amazing. But now know. it's... You assign one point of damage, and then the rest goes through. So beware of Death Touch and Trample together. Uh, again, see uh, Statement 1 with uh, Removal is Your Friend. Yes. <laughs> um, remember that any damage already marked on a blocker means uh, more damage to you. Um, so with that, so if they were to deal damage, uh, if they were to, like, Lightning Bolt or Shock one of your blockers... Yeah. Um... That reduces their toughness, which means more trample damage can get through. Uh, and then, as well, it, was, it doesn't reduce their toughness, but it already has damage more on it. Yeah. So you don't need to mark as you don't need to deal as much damage to it yes. to bring it to lethal. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, and as Joe said, whenever you're playing with it to plan for multiple blockers, that's exactly what you want to be prepared to do. You want to double, triple. Quadruple, you throw everything in front of it as if you I, need to. I th it rarely happens, but I think I have quadruple blocked to try to get rid of a, of a trampler. It was that necessary. I don't remember what it was, but I think I have quadruple blocked. All right, so I have actually... <laughs> so someone threw a worm coil engine at me, and all I, had, and all I had was plants. Oh, plant, like, zero one plant tokens? I had zero one plants. Oh, man. And I went, I can't... <laughs> I, I will not... I know I'm not going to kill it, but I need, I do not need this damage. So I threw, I think. Because Worm Coil Engine is a 6-6, six, six, right? Yeah. 6-6, yeah. Six, six, whenever it dies, you get to 3. Right. 3-3 uh, three, yeah, three with that three, touch, 3-3 three, three, three three with three. Lifelink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he gave it Trample because he was in green. Of course. Go, go figure. <laughs> um, so he's he swung at me. I went, I am not taking this damage. I put 12 plants in front of it. 12. Wow, I that went, is awesome. I, I went, no. <laughs> See, and I even planned, I was like, he's playing in green. He's going to buff it somehow. Which leads into the last point. Combat tricks that give power and toughness buff and trample exist. Like I mean, I, we already talked about that with Overrun. Overrun, uh, Colossal Might, which is... Right. It's at instant speed, so 
And that's the bigger concern is that it happens at instant speed. That's what because he he'd actually done it previously. There so you go. I went, I am not taking any more damage. I put twelve in front of it and went, you have to increase it you have to increase its power by six. And that's just to kill all the plants. That's just to get you all the plants. You gotta go by seven in order to deal any damage to you. And at that point, I'm sure he was just like, this isn't worth it. Yeah. Not worth it to waste a combat trade is. You know, yeah. still killed half your plants, but... Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just played... Because uh, that turn, I'd actually played an Avenger of Zendikar. Oh, nice. Yeah, so yeah. So I was like, I That's have all these the plants. plants. Yeah. I have all these plants. Go. Oh, if only you could have hit a landfall trigger to pump them up once. Yeah, well, here's, here's, here's the best part. <laughs> I had to hit. I had to play my land for turn, so I could play the Avenger. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, combat tricks are. Uh, uh, I think Thanos said it best. Inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> they are. But yeah. I mean, other than that, they are aggressive. They are big, and uh, they will try to get through. Uh. So you, it it is up to you to put as much in front of it as possible, so you don't get hurt. Too bad. Yeah. Because you're still going to get hurt. Now, let's talk real quick. Using that same example that you had before from from the, the plant tokens, let's let's talk about real quick how Death Touch and Trample interact with your plant tokens because that's multiple blocking creatures, all right? In that case, the attacking player would still have had to dealt, deal one damage to each of those plant tokens. So that's a great example. If you're throwing in one ones or you know, anything with one toughness, death death touch starts to be get, get negated a little there. It's not as beneficial anymore because you still have to deal that one point of lethal damage to each of the creatures before you're allowed to trample anything over. So in that in that case, you know, Death Touch did not help the Worm Coral engine much because of just the way it worked out. Um, so in that case, Death Touch was not its friend. It didn't really matter all that. But that was only because of the certain corner case condition under which those blocks were being done. But, the same, the, but the same thing would apply if you would throw a 1-1 one, one, and then a 5-5 five, five blocking that Worm Coral engine. All right, now it still has to deal one point of damage to the 1-1 one, one, and then one point of damage to the 5-5 five, five, before you can trample anything over to the defending player. All right, so that, that kind of instance matters there. I think he was planning on me blocking with my Avenger. Oh. <laughs> because then I would I would drop it down from a 6-6 six, six down to two three threes. Yeah. But I would lose my... Uh, right. I'd lose my value for playing lands. Um, yeah. You showed him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I also... Oh, and uh, so Avenger, I had a player... I had played a Parallel Lives earlier, so that's how I had 12. Right. I was like, no, all my plants right yeah. in front of you. <laughs> no. And I think based off of what we've talked about with our, our last topic for you know for Trample, you can tell that Trample is in every format. It's used across all formats to one extent or another. Questing Beast. Questing Beast is another fantastic one. Because that, that one has Death Touch and Trample, I believe. Oh, yeah. I know. Among <laughs> other things, it's basically like, let's give it every keyword possible. But that's a different story. We'll talk about it. Uh, but yeah, you can see it in every format. It came out in every set. Always pops up. Doesn't mean it's in every deck. Not by a long shot. But no matter what format you decide to play, there is a possibility that you will see creatures or spells giving trample to creatures in your in your deck or your opponent's deck. 
to yep. some extent or another. I think most commonly you would see it in command and limited. Limited decks love to gamble. Oh yeah, because it's such a difficult. I think I think that takes care of what I think at least is the most complex of the evergreen mechanics. Yeah. Uh, Anything else you can think of? Most complex of the evergreens, yes. So when are we doing the episode on banding? We are not touching <laughs> banding. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with the show focus and everything done, now let's move on to some scuttlebutt. So this past uh, Friday yep. was, the re- was the official release of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur Gate. Yes. Um, so what did you think of like the set quality? So I, w- I went to the release event. There weren't many of us, but we, we still did it. We we drafted our decks. We put them together. We played. I love the set. I And you know what? I really didn't think I would. I thought it was going to be one of those sets where I'm like, all right, it's another Commander Legends set, another made-for-Commander set. I see what they're trying to do. It's Baldur's Gate. I don't understand any of the the references that they're making. Apparently, Elminster is an important person, but whatever, fine. Uh, yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but I can tell you, the the limited environment itself is so much. Fun. There are so many opportunities. There are so many combinations. And just to give you an, an idea, so when I originally was, we were going through the draft, and the first pack I cracked, I pulled a a red green dragon commander that whenever I attack it, like doubles the power of all dragons. All right, so I'm like, this is great. You know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's try it. Well, there are only so many dragons in the set. And, of course, you're in a draft environment. So there's no guarantee they're going to pop up. All right. But I'm drafting all the red-green cards I can find. And eventually, like, there were no more red-green cards to draft. Other people were taking them. So I started drafting black cards. Because, like, nobody is apparently taking black. That's the set. That's the color nobody wants. All right. I'll take some black cards. That's what's left. Let's do it. So we go through the whole draft. I get to the end, and I'm looking at my draft pool, and I had drafted what, what on the surface is a great commander deck. I had some ramp, I had some t- removal, I had my main ideas, I had some extra alternate win conditions that weren't, they were kind of like come out of nowhere ideas. Like I had, a, I drafted a basilisk call. Um, some other things, you know, could just sort of come out of nowhere and help me win. And on the surface, it looked like a great deck. And then I looked at the actual number of dragons that I had. It was six. <laughs> and the sad part is, I wasn't, I, I wasn't passing dragons. I was taking dragons, you know, but I looked at him and was like, I, I can't play this. I don't have enough payoff for my commander. All right. So I took all the red cards out because I'm looking through. All right, what else do I have? What else do I have in my draft pool? I happen to have the green uncommon commander. It's called Ennis. Aranis or something. Regardless, it's a 3-3 three, three for 3 with Death Touch, and whenever it attacks, you may pull a land out of your graveyard and put it on the battlefield. And it has choose a background. So I'm like, oh my word. I, I looked at that, because I was going to put it in the deck to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I pulled it out, and I'm like, oh, please tell me I drafted a bound. All right, just, there's got to be something in here. Turns out, I did. I drafted one other background. All right? <laughs> just one. Just one. But I got to tell you, it worked out so well. So the, the background that I happened to draft was the common black background, Scion of Halister. Now, listen to this, all right? 
Commander creatures you own have, the first time you would draw a card each turn, instead, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your graveyard, and the other back on top of your library, then draw a card. So basically, it lets me filter through the top two cards in my library. So my idea was, all right, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to put a couple extra lands in here than what I normally would. I'm going to hope to draw off the top a spell and a land. I will pitch the land to the graveyard, put the spell in my hand, and then when I go to attack, because it's a 3-3 with death touch, who's going to want to block that? I'll be able to put the land onto the battlefield anyway. So I'll basically get a two-for-one off of this. I drafted a bunch of other black cards that all had graveyard synergies or death touch. And I got to tell you, it wasn't a great deck, not by a long shot, all right? But I held my own all the way to the end, and I, at one point... I had six creatures out on the battlefield. All of them had death touch. So I was able to really deal some damage to my opponents. The, in fact, one of my opponents commented and he said that that little black common that you have as your enchantment up there is really putting in some work. You know, you're able to basically filter the top two cards. Your life. I said, absolutely, that was the plan. So uh, the, the draft experience is fantastic. The set as a whole is fantastic. Now, outside of this set, I don't know how impactful the, the set as a whole is going to be on the Commander format or on Legacy and Vintage and stuff like that. I know there are specific cards that will always end up making waves. Uh, for example, that uh, the Displacer Kitten, Displacer Beast Kitten allows you to blink things. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention it's just adorable. So I, I want a copy of it, not to play it, just because it's I adorable. Have you have a display. I have an album, which is, uh, again, that, all right, th so those two are just adorable, and I want so copies the of them, but they're Cup, awesome. <laughs> uh, Roger had it, uh, one of our, uh, one of the players at our uh, mm -hmm. LGS, he was playing his Slimefoot deck, and he had Owlbear. Owlbear? He had the Owlbear Cup. Oh, nice. Nobody would have had eight lands. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, right, I've, so I've talked a lot about the draft experience and what happened you know, the, the night for release night. Chris, what are your thoughts on just the set quality and the idea of drafting Commander in this set? So, before uh, before we started recording, I had said that, you know, I didn't really understand how you would draft Commander. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was like, oh, you're only building a 60-card deck rather than right. 100. So it's like, all right, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, as for, like, what I think of, like, the set quality-wise... I absolutely love it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there are some cards in there that I didn't know that I needed. Also, the, thank you, Watsy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reprinting Wayfarer's Bobble at Common. I now have a... Oh, yeah, it is a Common. I didn't think about that. I yeah. have, like, ten of them. I am so happy now. Yeah. Um. So It I, dropped the price of Wayfarer's Bobble significantly. So, so, uh, so Mitch at the Commander Quarters is going to be really happy He's going to be that. happy. You can finally... First up, there's Wayfarer's Bobble. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah. And uh, so, and then another thing that I was kind of like concerned about was um, the uh, backgrounds. Right, I didn't understand how they were gonna I work like, or anything, but because this is like, so this is two firsts for this set. Mm -hmm. First is our first legendary commons. Yes, and second, we can now have non-permanent, uh, we can have non-creatures in the command zone. Well, I mean, we've been able to do planeswalkers, but we can have enchantments in the planes. Yeah, we can now have enchantments. Right, which again is something completely new and different. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like some of the uh, some of the backgrounds that I pulled, like like I said earlier, I pulled Raised by Giants, which that one is for five and a green. Uh, 
Commander creatures you own have base power and toughness 10-10 and are giants in addition and are giants in addition to their other types. Um, another one that I got was uh, Acolyte of Bahamut. Uh, commander creatures you have uh, you own have uh, the first dragon spell you cast each turn costs two less. Um, so I was trying to find a good deck to put that right. one in. Just I wish there was that a one's gonna go in my Miram uh, Dragon Doubler deck. Um, but yeah. Then I also pulled a popular entertainer. Yeah. Uh, and that one is all about. Uh, I believe that one is goading. It's goading. Yeah. Um. So like I pulled some really good. Um. I pulled some really good ones. I agree. Uh, I am sad that I have like six faceless ones, but I understand why the, those are so yeah. prolific because they're creatures and also yeah. they're encha- they're legendary enchantment creatures, so that you can have. Uh, it's just like a prismatic piper. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, I know you need to have them. It's for the draft experience. Thankfully, to the best of my knowledge, they did not put them in set boosters. So you won't pull them from a set booster. They only have them in draft boosters, which is so nice. Um, but yeah. So, so other than that, like, um, like, plus there have been some cards that are absolutely phenomenal that I've found. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to put the Elder Dragons aside for the time being. Yes. We'll, the, we'll talk about them later. No, I did pull um, one. Which one did you get? I got white. You got the white one. I got the black one. That's nice. Um, I also pulled a uh, uh, Mister. Yes, I have one of those. And mm-hmm. uh, whenever we played on win- last Wednesday, mm-hmm. or yeah, last Wednesday, whenever I bought a couple of packs, right? Uh, I pulled a Tasha. Yes. Nice. So I have the two planes. So I have two of the planeswalkers. Nice. I'm still looking for uh, Men and Boo. Right. <laughs> um, but I did pull uh, the Boo token. There you go. All right. And so I you- do. Ha- I do also have the card art. Uh, oh, okay. The, the art, art, yeah, card the art card for that's it. signed. Nice. So Good. I'm like, I just need it. I just need it. <laughs> um, and so I'm actually, so I'm wanting to, if I'm able to pull the Men and Boo, I'm going to build a commander deck around it. Yeah. And even have the original one from uh, Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms, yeah. Because I mean, it's Boo. Right. <laughs> I'm not building it for the cre- for the commander. I'm building it for Boo, the only hamster in the game. Absolutely. Um. So do you, now that we're starting to talk about individual cards a little more, do you think there are any cards that are overly busted that really should not have been printed? Not what I'm seeing so far, but then again, I haven't really delved really deep into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure there's something. I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, um, Sword of Selves, the Myriad. Yeah, but that's a reprint. The Blade of Selves was was out for a long time, and it hasn't really made a lot of waves at all. You know, well, it it only works in multiplayer games. Yes, you know. So actually, the fact that it and I don't know what the cost on it was prior to the reprint. So now that it's been reprinted, maybe more people will get copies of it. And you're right, maybe we will see some busted things happen from it. I don't think so too much. I mean, it, if it go, if you put it into the right deck, you can. I mean, oh you, yeah, you can break almost any card if yeah. you have it, the right setup, the right deck, whatever. Um, I was just thinking of like, um, I'm going to break it with reconnaissance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, other than honestly, I don't think there's any, there isn't really any broken cards that I can really see right now. Um, well, I do want to talk about a couple real quick that I think maybe we need to look at. The first is the ancient dragon cycle. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and specifically, we're looking at the red. I believe it's the Ancient Copper Dragon. Wherever you deal combat damage to a player, you roll a d20 and create a number of treasure tokens equal to the result. Um, now, I realize that, you know, you do have to actually deal damage um, before you can go ahead and, and you know, get that, that trigger. Uh, however, however, I... The idea that you can just get treasure tokens like that, I don't know, and, and the fact that you could get so many, you know, it is also based off a D20, so it's kind of like, uh, you might get one, you might get 20, who knows? But the idea that you could get really anything more than like three, which is pretty high that you're gonna get more than three, that's kind of busted, and I'm not sure I'm happy about that one. Uh, the Ancient Gold Dragon being able to put the, the creature tokens onto the field too, I think that one's going to be... That one's better than what people are giving it credit for. Uh, also, it's a 710. Let's just talk about that rule. You know, it's it's huge. 710 um, for 7 that whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you roll a d20, create a 1-1. One, one blue fairy dragon. Uh, creature token with flying equal to the result. So, I mean... And correct me if I'm wrong, but... If you give it double strike, it's dealing two instances of yeah. combat damage. Yep. As long as both hit the player, yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> so yeah, you see we roll twice if you gave a double strike. Actually, the only one that I think is fair is the Ancient Brass Dragon, the black one that reanimates things. Because you're reanimating based off of mana value, not based off of like number of cards. So exactly you which of course that's the one that I pulled. So you could you could swing in with the ancient brass dragon, connect, and roll your D twenty. Everything in your yard costs five or more and you roll a four. And you can't reanimate anything at that point. Now I think it's any graveyard, not just your own, but still it's it it you know it, it's tough. Alright, so, so the ancient bronze dragon, the green one for mm -hmm. five and green green seven seven flying when it deals combat damage to a player roll d20 when you do put x plus one plus one counters on each of up to two target creatures where x is the result so does that mean you're putting like i would say you roll 20 does that yeah. mean you're putting 20 on each of them uh that's yeah yeah because it doesn't say distribute you're putting that, yeah you're putting you're putting 20 plus one plus one counters on each of up to two target creatures if you roll a 20 yeah so yeah that's that. That's disgusting. There's one. Right. There's one spell. I can't remember what it is, but it's like, oh, it's a counter spell. Um, it's can't remember what it is, but it's a counter spell, and then roll a d20 and add the, um, then add something and you do something for it. I mean that one is like I'm. I saw that one and was like. I'm like, that has the potential to kind of get it out a little out of hand, you know, especially if you do it late game. Right. And you counter something like, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, let's go with a uh, Blightsteel Colossus. That's right, an 11. Right. Yeah. Um, here, let me just pull up Scryfall real quick. Well, while you're doing that, there was two others that I wanted to talk about. And they're both white cards. The first is Archivist of Ogma. It is a 2-2 two, two for 2. It's a halfling cleric with flash. Whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. Um, this has to do, again, a lot with white card draw, which I know that they are being conditional on their card draw, and people have been complaining that card draw needs to happen more in white. However, 
I think we're getting to a point where we're breaking the color pie too much and we need to actually pull back on that a little bit. Chris, you, you have your answer, what you were looking for? Yes, it is Gale's Redirection. It's an instant for three blue blue. Um, and it says, exile target spell, then roll a d20 and add the spell's mana value. If you roll a oh. 1 through 14, you may ex- you may cast the exiled card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. Okay. If you roll 15 or higher, you may cast the exiled spell without paying its mana cost for as long as it remains exiled. Oof. So it doesn't say you can't, for both instances, it's, you don't, it doesn't have that turn stipulation on it. Yeah. It doesn't have end of turn or end of next turn. It has, yeah. for as long as it remains exiled, you get to cast it. Yeah. The only difference between the two is if you roll a 14 or less, you are you have to pay for it. But you can spend mana of any color. Mana as though it were any color. Um, but if you roll 15 or higher, cool. Um, you get it. Yeah. And so the fact that it's not even... The fact that it just says exile target spell. Yeah. I mean, plus, so say you roll... Say you... You do, uh, um, someone goes to cast a, uh, um, Cosmic Butcher of Truth. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, what, 10? Off the top of my head. I, I think it, I think it costs 10. 10 or 12, yeah. Yeah, 10 or 12. Let's, let's just go 10. Yeah. So that means you have to roll a 5, sorry, a 4 or less in order to not be able to cast it without yeah. paying its mana cost. I know. No, you're right. So this can get broken, especially, and <clears throat> here's the best part. It's it's based off of the mana value. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that reduces mana costs, well, it doesn't affect the mana value. Yeah. So if they try to cheat something out, if they cast it, well, guess what? You can exile it. Yeah. And then you get all of that extra benefit. So, and I have one. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool. This is gonna. I'm gonna break this. Um, another one that I saw was uh, Elminster Simulacrum. It's an instant. Mm-hmm. Again, blue. Um. And it's, uh, for each opponent, you create a token that's a copy of up to one target creature that player controls. Yeah. So for six mana at instant speed, Mm -hmm. you can go, what's the best thing you have that I can target? Right. And you get it. Yes. But that's also a mythic. It's going to be harder to find. You won't come up against it in draft too frequently. Uh, At least I don't think so. And it's also right now... Oh, oh, here, here's another good one. I found a really awesome fog. Okay. Uh, Dariah's Resprite. Uh, instant for four and a green. Okay. Search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the number of creatures attacking you. Put those cards onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Prevent all combat damage that we dealt this turn. Yeah. So, fog, ramp, all baked into one for five mana. Yeah. Gotta love it. Yep. So we, there are some, there are a couple busted cards that maybe shouldn't have been printed. We'll see how much use they actually, have, you know, have. Because um, again, we all thought jeweled lotus was going to be a huge problem, and while I think it it is kind of a problem still, um, you don't see them pop up too frequently in your casual circles. Um, Opposition Agent was another one that people thought was going to be incredibly just terrible to play around. And again, you don't see it really pop up in casual circles too much. And Hall Breacher was the one that was going to be a problem, and no one was really talking about that too much. Um, real quick, though, I do want to talk about the cost of the product, because especially for our newer players, 
we we are experiencing what has been dubbed shrinkflation. Um, when Commander Legends one came out, you got what was it? Thirty draft packs? No, twenty four. Twenty four draft packs, I think, per box, and it was one hundred twenty dollars, I think, which. No one really gave them a hard time. It was a special set, no problem there, anything like that. But now the the draft pack, no, the draft, it still has 24. It was 30. But you're getting fewer draft packs for the same price. They haven't increased the number of cards. So what's really the advantage? You get even fewer set boosters, 18 set boosters. For again, 120 bucks. Now they put 15 cards in the set boosters. Well, the draft boosters are 20 cards. Right. Uh, and the set boosters are 15. 15. Yeah. Um, the set boosters uh, at our at least at our local game store, uh, it's 126 for the set boosters and 120 for the draft boosters. Right. You know, so it, it's one of those things where you're starting to look at it and you go, I, I don't I don't know if it's worth it to buy a box or anything at that point. And what we are seeing is similar to what we have saw with the first Commander Legend, uh, where when the product is debuted, you see a lot of these commanders that are a little more expensive, going for 2 $3 a pop. Now that the set is actually out, you can pick up most of them for a quarter. So... It's one of those things. Uh, personally, in my opinion, if you want to try to get a hold of a lot of cards and you really like the set, go ahead and buy a box. I would not recommend buying individual packs. Um, if you are really looking to just pick up part of this, go buy singles. Don't don't risk the don't risk the gamble of the the booster box or the packs. Just go buy singles because the it. it it is. It's becoming more expensive for this particular set. It's not worth it to go ahead and buy a box just for the sake of buying a box. Go go get the singles that you want. Chris, you got any other thoughts on Battle for Boulder's Gate? I found by far the best flavor text of all. Okay. It's from Band Together. Okay. Uh, in the art itself, it's uh, me and throwing Boo the hamster. Got it. And the flavor text is Boo. Let's see how this miscreant handles a furry missile of justice. Nice. <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> thank uh, you for being with us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed all the information about Trample, and thank you for sticking with us if you made it to the end uh, and listening to all we had to say about Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate and our thoughts on that. And with all of that said and done, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you have show ideas, you want to try and talk Joe into uh, breaking and doing a episode on banding uh, you can do so by emailing us at mtg under the hood at gmail.com you can also do so on facebook and twitter using the handle mtg under the hood and with that i want to say thank you for listening to this episode of magic the gathering under the hood i'm chris and i'm joe we look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode stay tuned